think about Christmas season and we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come. Not just someone, but we'll learn this week and next that the command was you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And it's a, it's a mixed bag of emotions this time of year. Um, we celebrate, but all of us, in some way, many possibly deeper than others, have, uh, have been affected by loss or difficult circumstances. And sometimes, uh, these times of the year, we call them hol- holidays, and that's not some secular substitute for Christmas. What that means is, is that they're holy days. They're set-apart days. They're sacred days. They're days that we intentionally set aside to celebrate, to remember, to honor. Christmas, of course, being the main one for that. But uh, there's times in, in the life of a church um, that we just need to, to pray for, uh, for people. And this morning, I want to pray uh, specifically uh, for a good friend of, of ours who's, who suffered great loss this week. His name's Frank Porter. If you don't know who he is, he's the, he's the director of the Baptist Student Union on the campus of Jones and um, ministered to a lot of people. He lost his wife, Roxy, to cancer this past week. And Miss Roxy had a heart for the nations, had a heart for college students. And uh, I just want to pray for them specifically and, and pray, f- or pray for Frank and his family, his children specifically. Um, it's been interesting the last few days and, and really neat to see on social media just people literally coming out of the social woodwork from all directions talking about how somebody like Miss Roxy impacted their life. Now, I want to pray for them specifically. And as we pray for them, there are probably a ton of unmentioned people that are feeling the same thing in one way or the other this morning. And some of those are you. And so without just us just listing all types, because many of us could just spend the rest of the service talking about grief and the time that this time of year brings to us. Aren't you thankful though that the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people because today in the city of David has been born a savior who's Christ the Lord. So I want us to pray for the, the Porter family, but I also want us as, as I'm praying, you pray, and maybe the Holy Spirit brings a name, a face to your mind, a family to your mind, somebody in your circle of community that's, that's just hurting right now. And it could be because of loss, it could be just because of some tough situations. And so let's do this, This is because this is cool, just like we did last week as Justin during Gospel Reach called us down to, to pray over. What's awesome is as we, as we go to the Lord in prayer, guess what? Holy Spirit uses you to minister to someone else as you pray, and you perhaps may be ministered to by the Spirit and God's people this morning as we pray together, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. You, uh, you pray for that, and I'll pray for us. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're so thankful that you have not left us without hope. You didn't leave us as orphans. You came to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and he lives in us. Lord, one day you will come back. You'll make all things right. And what we just sang about will be fulfilled in the greatest and complete sense. This morning we come to you on behalf of Frank Porter and his kids and their entire family. God, we, uh, we just pray that you would minister to his heart. You would overcome him with peace and with strength and even with the joy of the Holy Spirit as he mourns and suffers. God, we thank you for Miss Roxy's life. We thank you for the people, so many people that she touched here and around the world. God, it's just a reminder to us that when we put our life in your hands, God, you use us and you use, use us in ways that we could never have imagined or dreamed. So God, we lift up this family this morning. God, we thank you, as we sang earlier this morning, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God, we thank you that we have hope that, we'll, that we will never be put to shame in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that you conquered death in the grave and even in the midst of suffering, Death does not have the final word because Jesus has conquered it. 
Lord, as we pray for the porters, I pray for people even in this room right now that are experiencing the same just loss and suffering. Maybe for the first time just in this last week, but Lord, some as, as Christmas comes every year, they just see an empty chair and it all starts over again. Lord, I pray they'd look around this morning and see chairs full of people that love you and love them and they would be encouraged. Lord, we turn our direction to the word this morning. And God, we thank you that every word of God rings true. And we're thankful as we read a passage of scripture this morning that sometimes we're just prone to skip over. We pray that your word would be living and active, working in our hearts, dividing our hearts, exposing the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, encouraging us. Lord, bringing those on a mountain down, bringing those in a valley up. Lord, as we turn our hearts and minds and thoughts towards Christmas, We just pray, teach us your word this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Um, as we approach uh, Christmas, we are uh, stepping out of the book of Acts for a few weeks. And uh, Justin and I were, uh, were, were thinking through where we wanted to, uh, to walk through uh, during this Christmas season. And our mind went to Matthew. And so what we're going to do this week, I'm going to start the chapter. Next week, he's going to finish the chapter. And then Christmas morning, and I would encourage you, if you can, be here on Christmas morning. We are going to gather. And what's, what's, what's funny is, and this is not to, to, to throw people under the bus, but at the, at the same time, let me tell you this. The church, mainly outside the Western Hemisphere, gets very confused when they find out that Christians in the Western Hemisphere take Christmas off. It doesn't make any sense to them. They're like, why wouldn't you spend like more time on Christmas? Because like this is the one chance a year you get to celebrate like the day or around the day that he's come. And hey, and we're not going to drag it out and cause you to miss Christmas lunch, okay? But I would encourage you. Be here on Christmas morning if you can, if you can. And I, I, I say that to say it's just something about us gathering as the body on the day that we celebrate that. I know he wasn't born on December 25th. I generally know my history. I get that. But what an opportunity for us on Sunday morning. So don't leave here and say, Luke guilted us, and if we're not here on Sunday morning, we're going to get ratted out by other people. That's not what I said. But... I didn't say that, Butch. Don't talk back to me. I, <clears throat> I did say, if you can, gather with the body on Christmas morning. Matthew chapter 1. Now, if I were to ask you this, do you believe that every word in Scripture is true? You would probably say, yeah. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to read the genealogy of Jesus this morning. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. This is the whole council this morning, all right? Matthew chapter 1, let's read it, and then we're going to come back and talk about that. Actually, before you go there, I want you to do something that maybe is unique. Go to Matthew chapter 1, and then, can I just kind of borrow your Bible just for a second, because I have this study Bible up here, and it's not what I want it to do. All right. Um, in most Bibles, when the Old Testament ends, you may have a blank page, Okay. You may have it uh, on the last page of Malachi or the first page of Matthew. Now, if you've got an ESV study Bible, the Lord bless you and keep you because you have like that thick of a section on the intertestamental period, okay? But most Bibles, you see what I'm talking about. I'm not a crazy person. There's a blank page, right, in, in most Bibles, okay? And that's not inspired. That's something that a publisher did in order to make the break between the Testaments, okay? Here you go, Justin. There's your Bible back. I want you to notice, though, that... By nothing being written on that page, it does symbolize something, whether the publisher intended it or not. When Malachi put down his prophetic pen, until the time that a baby cried out in a manger in Bethlehem, there was 400 years of silence. Actually, just a little longer than 400 years as we date Malachi to be in the 5th century B.C. And between... The prophecy of Malachi ending in chapter 4, until angels cry out in the fields around Bethlehem, God had not spoken in a direct prophetic way in over 400 years. And so when we open our Bibles and we move, we might want to say it this way, not the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the 
less recent testament and the more recent testament, because they're both revelation, the revelation of God, we need to recognize that when we go to the New Testament, something is happening where there was expectation. And that's why when we come to Matthew's gospel and we begin, I think it's very appropriate how through God's guidance and the Holy Spirit's direction, how our Bibles are laid out. Because the New Testament begins, particularly Matthew's gospel, begins almost in the same way as the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I would direct your attention to one word, genealogy. Now what we're going to read as we walk through names this morning is that we're going to see these generations that are laid out. It is a genealogical record. It is a a listing of the generations, particularly from Abraham until Jesus. But that word genealogy is the Greek word where we get our word, check this out, Genesis from. So Matthew is saying this is the beginning of the book of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I just find that so fascinating that our Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason we call it Genesis is that word means beginning. And when there was nothing but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, guess what happened? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God created the heavens and the earth. We know through the Bible, people fell. Man sinned, and sin and death entered the world. And so guess what word Matthew chooses to use, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as this gospel begins? This is the beginning. Because God is about to create something new. And he's going to do that through the one who is called Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2 and following. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Take a breath. Here we go. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos or Amon, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Breathe. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of, yeah, I don't know, Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Elud, and Elud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, this is the word of God. I love this, and I hope you get it much as excited about this in a few minutes as, as I do, because when I see this, all I see more than just names and generations I see the track record of human history. I see the need of a savior. And I see specifically each one of us finding ourselves in the text this morning. Now you got to understand again what was happening during this time between Malachi and the birth of Jesus. 
The Jewish people were being ruled. Keep in mind that the temple had been rebuilt and had been destroyed. And during this time, later on, Herod the Great would rebuild the temple. But the Jews had experienced just some frustration with being ruled. Were the glory days ever going to come back? There were revolts during the Maccabean period. There were times where Jews tried to take back their homeland. Of course, they were crushed. But during this time specifically, there was a ruler in Rome. He was born Octavian. His name was later changed to Augustus, Caesar Augustus. He was the first Roman uh, emperor. And what was interesting about him was he was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, and he was adopted by Julius Caesar. When, Caesar, when Julius Caesar was assassinated in 42, the Senate, 46 and 42, the Senate declared him to be God, to be a God. And what's interesting is even in Octavian's life, there was a cult that worshipped him. Although he worshipped the, the Roman gods, he himself was worshipped and allowed that. And he was perceived, check this out, as the son of a god because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And what you can see from a 30,000 foot perspective is that God is sovereignly orchestrating the arrival of the real king, the real ruler, and the real son of God into human history. And in order to do that, Matthew looks back and he says, we just don't have to go back one generation to show who this king is. We don't have to go back two. Let's go all the way back to Abraham to establish his lineage. Now, this isn't the first genealogy we have in the Bible. The first genealogy we have is five chapters in, in Genesis chapter 5. It tracks Adam to Noah. The book of Exodus actually begins with a very small genealogy that shows the short list of generations that came from Jacob and Joseph that sets up the Exodus story. If you've ever been doing your uh, yearly Bible reading and you come to 1 Chronicles, let's be honest, some of y'all just skip the first nine chapters because guess what it is? It's nothing but a genealogy of like all 12 tribes. You're like, dude, I read through three of them, bro. But guess what? Like when I got to the fourth tribe and the fifth tribe, uh, yeah, let's just skip, okay? We can just be honest. We've done that before. Nine chapters of genealogy. At the end of of Ruth, the book of Ruth, as we studied it last year. There was a small genealogy that, that showed how uh, David came about. Now, why are genealogies in the Bible? I mean, sure, we have Ancestry.com, but we're Gentiles, and I found this out. If you have an ESV study Bible, you'll see this note, but the Jewish historian Josephus let us know that Jews kept extensive genealogies because they wanted to, for people to understand that a person's heritage, inheritance, legitimacy, and rights were, were cemented, were, were concrete. That these records were kept that nobody could argue, hey, that dude's making up where he came from. Or, or that, that person is not what they claim to be. And so Matthew, in the same note, because if you study Matthew, you'll see primarily his audience was Jews. He begins this book establishing where Jesus came from. I get you to notice before we dive in and, and, and break up this text into edible portions, I would get you to see in the 17 verses, the first verse and the last verse are like bookends. We'll come back to verse 1 in just a minute just a few minutes, because it talks about who Jesus is. Verse 17 talks about the genealogy as a whole, but there are three main parts, okay? And just listen or jot this down. It's not on the screen, but I just want you to see. Verses two through six take us from Abraham to David. From Abraham to David, verses two through six. Verses seven through 11 take us from David to the Babylonian exile in 586. And verses 12 through 16 take us from the Babylonian exile until the birth of Jesus. Now, I need to say this at the outset. If you go to Luke, the end of Luke chapter 3, there is a genealogy there also. And if you start comparing the two, you'll say, whoa, somebody's off. Because whereas Matthew has... 41, 42 generations listed. Luke's got a whole lot more. And if you'll notice in verse 17, it says, 
From Abraham to David, there were 14 generations. From David to deportation were 14. From the deportation of Babylon were 14. Then you go to Luke and you're like, dude, Luke has all these inserted. So what's the deal? Is somebody wrong? Is Matthew or Luke wrong? Now, scholars really have, have had looked at this in two ways. The first one is probably not uh, accurate, but I'll just throw it out there. Some people think that, that Matthew's account is Joseph's lineage, that Luke's account is Mary's lineage. The problem with that is Mary isn't listed in Luke's. Joseph is. So some people have held that. I'm just throwing that out there. Probably not the case. If that's you, okay. The, the second way to look at it is that Matthew is establishing Jesus's royal lineage. That's the point. Luke is literally doing a play-by-play of his physical lineage. Now, the word that Matthew uses over and over and over again, the father of, the father of, if you got the old King Jimmy, it says begat, 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 okay? In, in, in the, the Greek, you can interpret that as this this father had this son, like directly, but it also can be used as was the ancestor of. And so as you look at this genealogy, Matthew is not, is not missing out or skipping things as, as an error. What he's doing is, he's basically saying, let me provide it in a more succinct form, 14, 14, 14, so that you can memorize it. So you can see the importance of it. So you can see that God had a plan with it all together. Now, I just need to stop there. We can, we can waste too much time there. But there's three sections. And this shows us some importance as we move along. So we look at this like, why are you picking this on December the 11th? Why is it? And I guess the greater reason is like, why, why does the Holy Spirit want us to get this? I would suggest to you first that this genealogy is filled with all types of people. All these names that we just read, Perez, my favorite probably is Aminadab. That's a good one. Our guy down in, uh, where's the one I just didn't even know what to do? Elud or, yeah, some of these, phone a friend, help me out after if you're proficient in name pronouncing. But this genealogy is filled with all types of people. 42 men listed, three sets of brothers, five women. We'll come back to the women in just a moment, which is very interesting at the outset. Like you didn't find women particularly in Jewish genealogies. And when you did, it is there. Ding, 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 ding for a reason. 42 men, five women, three sets of brothers. But there's different types of vocation or jobs in this Genealogy, there's farmers. You probably recognize some of the names because of the fact that they were kings. There's hunters and herdsmen. There's soldiers and carpenters. There's even a prostitute. There's shepherds. There's leaders. There's servants. There's people that slept in palaces. There's people that slept in tents. There's different personalities. There's some people that were quiet. There's some people, the biblical record tells us, were more loud than others. They came from different social classes. Some had many children. Some had no children. Some had children in the middle. And you find a collection of people from all walks of life. Now, I just don't want to apply that yet. I just want you to notice that. As we look back through this particular record. We know what Abraham was. He was a rich guy. Had many herds. We look down at a guy named Jesse who had seven sons. Sent the youngest to take cheese and other items. <laughs> you ever wondered why, Je why, why David was the one taking care of the sheep? He was the youngest. Literally throw him to the wolves, right? There we go. You read down and you have a young punk like Rehoboam that looked at the elders of Israel and said that my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. That's in the text. You have people that are boastful and loud. You have people that are humble and quiet. You even have a carpenter named Joseph who is unwilling to put his 
pregnant fiance to shame. And so he wants to divorce her quietly. This genealogy is filled with all types of people. But when you get all types of people, I want you to see secondly that this genealogy is filled with all types of sin. It's very interesting as we think about the people in this genealogy, all 10 commandments are broken by people in this genealogy. There's idolatry, Joram, and these kings following in verse 8. Manasseh, we'll come back to him in just a minute. Jeconiah, and if you read about these kings, you'll see that when the northern kingdom split, there was a king up north named Jeroboam, and he didn't want the, the kingdom to be united, so he put a golden calf and a place to worship at the top of his kingdom, at the bottom of his kingdom. And basically every king after that will say that he walked in the ways of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. Even Solomon the wise later in his life was turned aside and worshipped foreign gods and worshipped and bowed down graven image. That's the first two of the commandments. Took the name of the Lord in vain, possibly verbally, but by the way they lived, what did they do? They brought shame upon the pure, holy name of the Lord God of Israel and profaned his name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We're told that one of the reasons that the kingdom of Judah was taken into exile in 586 was so that the land could rest because they had profaned the Sabbath. They had done what they wanted to on the Sabbath. They had disobeyed the command to rest on the Sabbath under the Old Testament law. Honor your father and your mother is the fifth commandment. Just mention what Rehoboam had done. There's different kings in this record that would fight against their own family. We find out also that wasn't it Jacob that deceived his blind father Isaac and didn't honor him, pretended to be his brother? Number six. I always get these out of order, so I just want to be true to the text. Number six, you shall not murder. Several murders in this. I'll just mention probably the most famous one. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. What did David do after he got... Bathsheba pregnant. He ordered Uriah, one of his mighty men, to be put on the front lines, and by default, it was murder. You find adultery in that episode. You find sexual sin, and actually in this, you find all types of sexual sin. You find incest in the story of Judah. You find rape in the story of David with his daughter and son, Amnon and Tamar. You find adultery directly. When you read this, guess what, y'all? <laughs> this is not a pretty line. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Just in the episode of David, all of those are mentioned. But it seems as if the further down you go, you really start sinking into the depths of depravity of humans as you start mentioning these kings. I'll just mention one in verse 10. There's a guy named Manasseh. His father was Hezekiah, and he was a godly man. Manasseh was a horrible leader. The cult of Molech, where called the abomination of the Ammonites, where newborn babies were thrown into fire as an act of child sacrifice. Manasseh was a part of it as the king of Judah. He worshiped all the stars of heaven. He even took idols and images and he put them in the Lord's house. And what you find is not some rose-pictured rose view of human history here. You find the evil of each one of us. You find the fact that when Adam sinned, all of us were infected with guilt and corruption. And guess what? We aren't just condemned because of Adam's sin. We're condemned by our own sin. And what's interesting in this genealogy is that nobody can look at the previous generation and say, well, you made me act like this because they did the exact same thing. I mentioned the five women, which is unusual for Jewish genealogies. You've 
You've got Tamar in verse 3. You've got Rahab and Ruth in verse 5. You've got the wife of Uriah. Her name's Bathsheba. She's in verse 6. Then you have Mary down in verse 16. Three of these women, at least three of them, were Gentiles. Bathsheba may have been. She was married to a Hittite. But Mary was the only Jew. It's interesting that all five of these women have one thing in common, and it is some scandalous sexual sin or some possibility of an illegitimate child were all in their story. If you know the story of Tamar and Judah, Perez and Zerah came about because Judah had wicked sons. One was killed before he had a child because he was evil. The, others, the other would not take his sister-in-law as the law of leveret marriage was and did not take her and have children with her to continue his brother's line as the Old Testament law commanded. He was put to death by the Lord. The, the other was so young that he wouldn't have grown up in time. And so Tamar was basically put off by her father-in-law. She couldn't have children. And so she dressed up like a prostitute and enticed her own father-in-law so she could have children. It's there, there it is, said Genesis 38. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Ruth, although she's presented as a woman of great, great, great character, she was a Moabite. So therefore, who is she to have children make the line of Israel tainted. The wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, who had adultery with the king of Israel. And Mary, who although innocent, was probably accused when a baby bump started showing up in Nazareth that she's been sleeping around on Joseph. This genealogy is filled with all types of sin. Third, this genealogy is filled with all types of situations. In this genealogy, there's tragedy and triumph. There's dysfunction and drama. There's ruin and redemption. I'll just mention a few. There were barren women in this genealogy. Sarah and Leah and Rachel could not have children. Ruth, in a sense, was not barren because chapter 4 says that the Lord opened her womb, but certainly, even if maybe not physically, situationally, she was barren because she was a widow in Israel. With no hope of remarriage. There's family upheaval. The story of Jacob and Esau, deceit. Jacob, this is funny, he was a smooth-skinned man living among the tents. And in order to, to deceive his brother, or to deceive his father, he put goat's hair on it. Because, dude, I don't know how hairy Esau was, but that dude was hairy, okay? He not only do that, his brother came in from hunting in the field and he does this like, let's make a deal, deceit brother and steals his birthright. David had a son named Absalom who overthrew his kingdom, tried to take control. I mentioned Amnon and Tamar and the horrible sin from them. Manasseh threw his own sons to the fire. Solomon led, possibly Solomon's actions in later life led Rehoboam to be the punk that he was. But not only that, there's not just family upheaval, there's national upheaval because we find out at the deportation of the Babylon that God allowed his own city, Jerusalem, where he had placed his name to be destroyed. His own temple where his name was worshipped to be burned with fire. And God allowed his own people to be invaded and taken off into exile because of their sin. Well, Luke, thanks for the Christmas cheer. The only way you can ever understand the glory of the gospel is to understand the horrible backdrop of sin that it's preached on. All types of people. All types of sin. All types of situations. And I hope just walking through that, you may find yourself there. Or a situation there. Or someone that you care about there. 
Because the hope that we have is that all of this sin and all of these sinners and all these people are found here, but the genealogy begins this way. The beginning of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the genealogy ends this way. Of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, which tells us, and in the middle of it where all the darkness and evil is, that before man ever sinned, God had already provided. And after man had sinned, God sent a Savior to provide. And that's what I want you to see forth this morning. This genealogy proclaims the Lord who came to save them all. What does this passage tell us about Jesus If we go back to verse 1, we find out that this is Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that Christ is not his last name. (laughs) Some people think that, right? Christ is Christos. It means Messiah. It literally means anointed one. Not two, not three, not four. Definite article, the anointed one. The one that was going to come, the one whose lineage is laid out before us is the one that God has anointed and set aside and set apart to do something that no one else can, and that is to save sinners. What's his title? The son of David. God had made a promise to David. And the promise was that kings will come from you. It was a promise that God had made. And in the Old Testament, this, this promise was always tied in with messianic hope that kings are going to come, but one day the king is going to come. And he's going to sit on the throne of David. And he will rule without end. And his will be all the power and the glory forever and ever. And he will not only be physically related to David, but his kingdom will be greater than David's. So you know what Matthew is saying here? This is the Christ, the anointed one. But this is the one who comes from the God who keeps his promises. Son of Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. And this is where it gets good for us sitting in this room. The promise was twofold in Genesis 12, 3. The promise was, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But then he says, through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And guess what, y'all? You know what's in this genealogy? There's a bunch of Gentiles in this genealogy. A lot of Jews, some Gentiles. Son of Abraham not only has, yeah, he's a physical Jew. Yes, he's qualified to be the Jewish Messiah. But what it is, it's God saying, listen, when this Savior comes, he's just not going to be a territorial king. He's just not going to be an ethnic king. He's just not going to rule over one part. This is the cosmic king who rules over all peoples and who will offer salvation to all peoples. This is, why we, this is why we dare to stand on a stage on Sunday morning and pray for the nations because this is the son of Abraham. This is the one who through, all, through him all nations will be blessed. A few more notes about this Lord. Uh, don't you just love the fact that it's at the line, at the long line of the sinners that here comes Jesus? I love that. Mess it up, sin it up, destroy your life. Guess what? God's going to send a Savior. At the end of the record of human brokenness and sin, there's a Savior. Can I just tell you this this morning? If you have destroyed your life, don't despair unto death because there is a Savior who has come into the world to save people just like you. You think you've blown it? Sacrifice your children 
taken another man's wife, covered it up by murder, deceived your family, committed incest. Oh, don't despair. Because one has come who is called the Christ. And he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came from a line of sinners. But it's so interesting here. And Hebrews paints it this way in Hebrews chapter 7. We have a high priest who, who is like us and not like us. He is high and, and lofty and unstained. He is like us, but he's not like us. Because at the end, the, the most amazing thing happens. I just want to draw your attention to one word down in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Whom? That's the word. Whom? In the Greek, it's feminine, not masculine. Which tells us this. Jesus wasn't born of Joseph. Solomon was born of David. Obed was born of Boaz. Zerubbabel was born of Sheatil. But Jesus was not born of Joseph. He was born of Mary because this was a perfect virgin conception. Can, can, I just, can I just correct your, your theology because I had to correct mine again this week and just cause myself to, to be remembered. It, it was not a virgin birth. It was a virgin conception, okay? And let me just tell you this. It was not a silent night. It was a holy night, but it sure wasn't silent. Jesus just didn't say, hey, I'm here. What's up? He was born like us. And Mary went through everything that you women have gone through. The miracle was he was not conceived as we were, and so sin passed to us. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so at the end of this long line, this is the most unimaginable thing ever. At the long list of this track record of people that have blown it, there's a perfect one given. And why is he given? He's given so that he may grow up and face everything that we faced and overcome to be tempted in all ways like us, and even greater. We ain't never been tempted to turn stones into bread. We ain't never been tempted to throw ourselves off the roof and show ourselves as the Son of God. If, if you get that temptation, like call a pastor real quick, okay? He's not only faced what we faced, little selfish thoughts, little materialism, lust. He took on the devil face to face and won. He took on death face to face and won. He didn't have to die. He stared into the cup of God's wrath and willingly took it. He wasn't a victim. He was a volunteer. He came to save us all. He lived a perfect life so that he could die our death. His name is Jesus. Justin will unpack this more next week. But his name means the Lord is salvation. And this is so amazing. Heaven is not salvation. A feeling is not salvation. God sent a prophet, but ultimately he sent his son. Yeah. Aren't you thankful God doesn't subcontract his salvific work? He came himself. He did it himself. He came. He came. Because he is salvation. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? First, I think we can apply this to our life in this way, that nothing escapes God's view. Nobody escapes God's view. And praise God, no sinner is without hope. God doesn't overlook and say, well, miss that one over there. Better offer him salvation. Nope. There's not one sin or sinner that escapes the sovereign good eye of God. Which tells us this morning, for some of us, you need to hear there is hope. You have not been overlooked. Your sin is not too great. You can be saved. But some of us, it should terror, bring terror to our hearts this morning that God sees our sin. And God's going to judge our sin. But the gospel is this morning, your sin doesn't have to be judged because it was already judged in Jesus. Turn to him, believe the gospel, be saved. No sin is too great. No sinner is too far gone. Grace is available to all. As I read about the women, particularly included in this, it encourages us so much because check this out. God took a prostitute and made her the grandmother of kings. God took a tossed out daughter-in-law 
and brought the promises through her. God took a forsaken Moabite who had no hope and redeemed her. God took a terrible situation as unwise and as crazy and as stupid as David was. God, through Bathsheba, brought about the wise King Solomon who fell into unwisdom. But this Teenager from this redneck boondock town in Galilee named Mary. The angel visits. The angel says, you're going to bear the Messiah. And she doesn't understand. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Shows you her heart. And you find Mary offering herself to God. I don't get it. It scares me to death, but I trust you and my life is in your hands. That's the type of life that Jesus comes from. Prostitutes become daughters. Carpenters become sons. Kings are brought down. Barren are brought up. Nothing escapes God's view. It's another application. Remind us this morning. Remind you this morning. God has a plan. He, he really does. We don't get it. He's got a plan. And this genealogy tells us that God is sovereign over all human history. And he's sovereign all, over all redemptive history. God is working. God is working to bring the nations to himself. That they'll turn from idols and worship the living God. Just this morning, I, I got a text this morning. I, it was late last night. It was, it was Eastern Hemisphere morning. And, and this was the text. Brother, pray for the worship service this morning. We're baptizing four people this morning. And that is a place where there's a church being planted among unreached peoples. God has a plan. And even when it's dark and the tabernacle's being burned down because of our sin, God has a plan. You've been praying for somebody for 30 years? Keep praying because God has a plan. Third, God's salvation includes more than just me. Listen to me, American. Salvation is not a product to consume. Salvation is not something just to rest in your little corner and be thankful that Jesus saved you. The Eastern world again is confused about how Americans can treat salvation as so individualistic. Or we can almost become so selfish in our salvation that we don't want it to, to, to see other people come to it. And this is, the, this is the reason for the church, the reason we gather weekly like this in the New Testament. This is God's grace to remind us that it ain't just about us. It's not. We need community. God's salvation includes sinners like Salmon and Jehoshaphat and Judah. God's salvation includes Joseph, the husband of Mary. God's salvation includes former cannibals in Papua New Guinea. God's salvation includes former Pharisees like Nicodemus. And Joseph. God's salvation includes people from all tongues, all tribes, all languages, who one day all together will stand before the throne and will say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor and blessing forevermore. That's one thing for us to remember in this Christmas season. When we're getting five texts a day, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Well, let me go on here. Let me look. Let me do this. Let me shop. Let me do all this. Salvation is not just about receiving. It's about offering our life to the one who offered for us. And this genealogy finally reminds us that Jesus Christ is the only all-sufficient Savior. There are not five ways to God. There is not. Jesus can do half of the work. And I'll just try a little harder. There is no gospel in you trying harder. Because you'll find yourself in the same spot. Broken. Unable. Trying a little harder. Never making it. The gospel really is y'all that he came and he did it all. And you can rest in that. When you don't feel right. When you don't feel accepted by God, the gospel says, yes, but you are. 
because His grace is really is greater than our sin. Yes. We don't operate on, if we do a little more on Tuesday, God loves us more. That's not the gospel. The gospel is His grace remains upon us. But that demands, that demands that we respond to Him in, in a way that's appropriate, in a way that's worthy of this God who saw us in our sin and then just flick us off into hell, but came. Not just sitting a microphone out and talking to us, being incarnate among us so that our high priest now, he can identify. Oh, the gospel. We don't worship the gospel. We worship the God of the gospel. The gospel's just the message. It's just the mail. And you don't take a letter and pin it up and bow down to it. But you read a letter because it communicates how the one who wrote the letter thinks about you. And this morning, can you just read a genealogy of a bunch of names that I've probably butchered and see that God not only cares about each one, God cares about all his people. What better way, man, to enter Christmas? Jesus just didn't come for you and me. He came for us. He came for us. I ask our musicians to come up as I get ready to pray. Can I just encourage you this morning? If you don't know Christ, and you maybe think that your sin, you've done too much, it's too great. Nope, check out the genealogy. Find the God who's mighty to save. We'd love to talk to you as pastors after the service. We'd love to talk to you this week. We'd love to talk to you about the state of your soul. We'd love to talk to you about where you stand with God. And we would love to be able to tell you that trying a little harder, being a little more religious won't save you, but Jesus will. Believer, can I just encourage you this morning? What love, what grace demands our heart, our love, our all. So, can we worship Him this morning? Can we adore Him this morning? If you need prayer, we'll be at the back. Ryan will be back there. Justin will be back there. I'll be back there. If you need somebody to pray with you, talk to you, we've got godly women here too. Some of us just need to adore this King. Lord, we thank you for your word. And even among a bunch of lists of names, your word is living and active, Lord. It points us to Christ. It shows us our sin. It gives us comfort and hope. God, I pray that you would minister your word to our hearts as you have been these last several minutes and as we continue to think through these things. We thank you that there's only one all-sufficient Savior, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, who is called the Christ. God, I pray for our church that we will never get to the point where we believe that salvation is just a product. God, protect us from just sinking back into the closet of, of ourself rather than understanding that you came for all, God. Flesh that out in our hearts. We're so thankful that you came to save us from our sins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.